So we continue in our study in the book of Galatians. And in order to set things up today for us to understand exactly what is going on in our text, by the way, we're in Galatians chapter 2 uh, once again. But we, we need to understand that with the coming of the new covenant, with this new covenant that has been given, the old covenant, the Mosaic covenant, is obsolete. It has vanished away. We are no longer, we're no longer under the law of Moses. Now, all of Scripture is inspired. It's there as 2 Timothy 3, verse 16 tells us for our teaching, our correction, and so on. So this is not to say that the Old Testament has nothing to say to us. It has much to say to us, much to teach us, because the Old Testament is the inspired word of God. In fact, oftentimes we lack in our understanding because we don't go back to the Old Testament enough. But we need to have a clear understanding that the New Testament, and with the coming of the New Testament, the Old Testament or the Old Covenant is completely done away with. It is gone. You and I as Christians are no longer under the law of Moses. And this doesn't just include certain laws. The whole law is done away with. The whole law has vanished. The whole law is obsolete. So oftentimes you'll hear people try to pick it apart and say, well, we're under this law, but we're not under that law. And uh, we're under the moral law, but we're not under the civil and ceremonial aspects of, of the law. And it becomes very confusing. Uh, the Mosaic law was given to us as a unit. And so it's not chopped up. Either the whole Mosaic law is gone or it is still there in full force. I want to show this to you in the scripture because this is extremely important. If you go over to Hebrews chapter 8, verse 13. Hebrews chapter 8. Hebrews, the eighth chapter, verse 13. Hebrews chapter 8, verse 13. It says this, in speaking of a of a new covenant. This is the new covenant that we are under, the covenant that Christ has established uh, through the blood of the cross, through his death. It says in speaking of a new covenant, he makes the first one obsolete. So there's a new covenant and there's an old covenant. What is the old covenant? The old covenant is the Sinaitic covenant, the covenant of Mount Sinai, or we could call it the covenant of Moses, the Mosaic Covenant, the Old Covenant. All of these are just different names for the Old Testament or the Old Covenant. And the scripture here clearly tells us that the first one is gone. The first one in, in its entirety, not just part of it, the whole thing is obsolete. And what is becoming obsolete, it says, is growing old and is vanishing away. So we're under a new law. We're under a new covenant. No longer under the law of Moses, but under what the scripture tells us is the law of Christ. We won't look at it specifically, but if you're jotting things down, it's Galatians chapter 6, verse 2. There's a couple of places where this phrase is used in the New Testament. One is in Galatians chapter 6, where it says the law of Christ. Same thing in 1 Corinthians. Why don't you flip over there? 1 Corinthians chapter 
9, 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 21. 1 Corinthians 9, verse 21. Paul writing uh, says this, To those outside the law, I became as one outside the law. So to the Gentiles outside the law, Paul has now behaved and has acted as one outside the law, as a Gentile. But he says, I'm not outside of the law of God. So he says, I'm, I'm not without a law. This isn't you can do whatever you want. Antinomianism says there is no law. Now that you're under grace, you simply do whatever you want. Praise God we have grace. Thank the Lord for his grace. So anytime we want to sin, we can just sin as much as we want. And all we need to do is say, grace, grace. Thank God for his grace. Antinomianism says no law. Anti, no, no mos in the Greek, meaning law. No law. We're not under the law. And Paul says, no, no, I'm not under the Mosaic law, but he says, I, I still have a law. It's a clear law, clear commandments, clear principles, not being outside the law of God, but under, here it is, under the law of Christ. It's a new law. It's the law of Christ that I might win those outside of the law. So we're no longer under the law of Moses. By the way, this would include the Ten Commandments. You say, well, wait a second. Are you saying we can go ahead and murder somebody then if we're not under the, the law of Moses? Of, of course not. Jesus taught us in the law of Christ not to murder anyone. That's why we don't murder anyone. It's not just because we go to, it's not because we go to the law of Moses. In fact, Jesus exceeded the law of Moses when he says, I, I tell you, if you get angry at somebody, you've already committed murder in your heart. And by the way, this is, this is why in, in many ways it's not a good idea to use the Ten Commandments in evangelism. You, you often hear this where people will say, well, here's what we do. We start by talking about people's sin, which is correct, as we've talked about. We need to talk about sin, but then they'll begin to talk about the Ten Commandments. And they'll ask people if they have cheated, if they've lied, if they've stolen, if they have murdered, and so on. The problem is, is when you come to the fourth commandment. And the question is, are we as believers under the fourth commandment to keep the Sabbath day? And the scripture is clear, we're not under the Sabbath law. In fact, the Sabbath of Saturday didn't all of a sudden magically become Sunday. In fact, if that's the case, we're in big trouble because there's all sorts of Sabbath laws that none of us keep, including traveling in a car to get here. So there's all sorts of problems with that. And we hear people using the Ten Commandments, and we see those commandments in some ways repeated and even exceeded in the New Covenant under the law of Christ. But we don't flip to Moses in order to get our laws. And we can't simply say, well, we're going to obey some of these laws and we're not going to obey other laws. So even the Ten Commandments, as given through Moses, that needs to be clear in our minds, as given through Moses. Of course, we still obey many of the precepts and commands that are given there, but it's because they have been given to us through our ultimate lawgiver, and that is the Lord Jesus Christ. So you say, why don't you murder somebody? Is it because you're under the Mosaic Code, the Mosaic Covenant? No, it's because I'm under the law of Christ. And he's very clearly told us not to kill anybody. 
Is stealing okay now? No, of course, stealing is not okay. Is it because we go to the Old Covenant to look for those laws? No, it's because we go to the Lord Jesus Christ and his apostles. And it's very clear in the New Testament that we are not to steal and so on. So everything needs to be interpreted through the lens of the Lord Jesus Christ. So we're no longer not only not under the Ten Commandments as given through Moses, but we're no longer under dietary laws that were given through Moses. This is why it's quite fine for you to have a a pulled pork sandwich if you would like. And so if you were still keeping the Old Testament laws, pork would be out. There's all sorts of dietary restrictions. You say, well, I like that kind of food. That's okay because under the law of Christ, you don't have to keep dietary restrictions. Now, some people do. Some people do for diet reasons, perhaps to lose some weight, or perhaps they think it's a better diet to eat. They're, they're free to do that. But to say it's mandated is problematic. It's unbiblical. If we were to come in here and teach that you could only eat certain things and not eat other things, that would be incorrect. That would be unlawful because it's not taught under the law of Christ. Listen, though, if you were under the law of Moses, that's what we would need to follow. We would say, well, we can eat this and all this has to be kosher. and We need to watch that kind of food and not participate in eating that and so on. Circumcision. Part of. The Mosaic Law, every male needed to be circumcised. Now the question is, if you're a believer, do you have to be circumcised in order to be a good Christian, in order to be a Christian? And the answer is no. The Sabbath, what are you going to do later today? Is this really the Sabbath? No, it's, it's not the Sabbath. This is the day that the Lord rose from the dead, and this is why we celebrate every Sunday. So it's very clear here in, in the text we're, we're no longer under, under the law of Sinai. Go to Romans chapter 14. Romans chapter 14, verses 5 and 6. Romans chapter 14. Romans 14, verse 5 and 6. By the way... If you're talking to somebody about Christ and you're talking about the laws that we break, it's probably a better idea to go to a, a text of Scripture like the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapters 5 through 7, and begin to talk about the sins that Jesus talks about there or go to the Great Commandment that we should love the Lord our God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. And maybe ask people, do you really love God? And when we talk about loving God, we're talking about giving up ourselves because we love him. Not just, oh, yes, I have this wonderful feeling for God. It's I serve God. I've given up my life for God because I truly love him. There's a heart that says I love him with, with everything, heart, soul, mind, and strength. And, of course, we don't do that correctly. We don't even do that correctly as believers. This is why we need the Holy Spirit's power. But if we're honest with ourselves, we'd say, no, I don't really love God the way I should. Or the second command, to love our neighbor as we love ourselves. Do we really serve other people? 
Do we wake up thinking about our own interests and uh, really what boils down to selfishness? How can I serve myself? How can I declare my own rights? How can I make sure that I'm the one accounted for and I'm the one taken care of? This is all self-love, this whole notion of self-love. And Jesus says if you're going to obey him, you're actually going to love others more than you even love yourself. That's a, that's a huge statement. And so instead of going through the Ten Commands of the Old Testament, why don't we take them to the law of Christ and begin to let the law work its way on their conscience as they hear the words of Jesus or they hear the words of his apostles, at least initially. And so they begin to say to themselves things like, well, I've never, I've never committed murder, but boy, anger is a whole different issue. Or somebody says very proudly, well, I've never slept with anybody else's wife or I've never slept with anybody else's husband. But I see lust in my heart. And you begin to talk in those kind of ways and you begin to warn people about the sins of the heart. That's where all sin comes from, the inner person, the inner man. That look at pornography started with something that went on in the heart that desired it. That desire for sin, it always starts somewhere, and the scripture tells us it starts within the heart. So maybe as we're talking to people, as we're trying to get people to understand the gospel and we're talking about sin, perhaps we start somewhere along the lines of starting with our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ and the law that he gave us. But listen to what Paul says about different laws that were kept under the old rule of things. And now he tells us that there's freedom. He says this in Romans chapter 14, verse 5. He says, one person esteems one day as better than another. So, so listen carefully. He says, one person says the day you should worship on is Saturday. If you're going to be a true Christian, you need to worship on Saturday because that's the right day. Another person comes along and says, no, it's not Saturday. I believe we truly need to be worshiping on Sunday. That's the correct day to worship on. You have this whole battle going on. He says, one person esteems one day is better than another, while another esteems all days alike. It doesn't matter. You can worship on Wednesday, and you can worship on a Wednesday night home group, and you can worship at a Tuesday prayer meeting, and you can worship the Lord faithfully without his condemnation on Saturday or Sunday. Somebody esteems all days alike. Each one should be fully convinced in his own mind. There's freedom here. The one who observes the day observes it in honor of the Lord. So you say, well, I, I observe this certain day, and you do that, that in honor of the Lord. That's a good thing. If you don't, and you're not condemning your brother or sister, and you say, it really doesn't matter to me. I, I can worship on any day. Somebody else says, no, no, this is the day. The Bible comes along and actually corrects that and says, look, there's, there's freedom. There's freedom. It doesn't matter if you worship on a particular day. That's not what makes you sanctimonious or that's not what makes you religious. The question, as Jesus said, is do you worship the Lord in spirit and in truth? That's, that's the real question. Now, there is something to getting together as the Lord's people. And we do that every Sunday. And we're not to neglect meeting together. And Hebrews tells us that. 
that if we really care about the Lord and we are really serving him and worshiping him, that the desire is to be with other believers in Christ. That's our aim because we not only love him, but we love others. And this is a faithful thing. This is a year in and year out practice. You don't start at 20 and then give up on it at 25 or 30. But you continue to meet with other brothers and sisters in Christ for as long as you're a Christian. And if you're a true Christian, that means forever. Forever. Colossians chapter 3, if you flip over there to Colossians chapter 3. Colossians chapter 3. If you go back one chapter, Colossians chapter 2, Colossians chapter 2, says this in verse 14, By canceling the record of debt that stood against us with all its legal demands, this he set aside, nailing it to the cross. So what did Jesus do with the old covenant? You can imagine in your, in your mind, Jesus' hands are stretched out, and on those nail-pierced hands is the legal document of the Old Covenant. And when that nail was driven into the hand of Jesus, it wasn't just the hand of Christ that was driven into the cross. It was that Old Covenant. It was that law of Moses that was nailed to death on the cross with him. So if you can imagine the law of Moses going along with the death of Christ then it says this in verse 16 of the same chapter, Therefore, let no one pass judgment on you in question of questions of food. Well, if you really love the Lord, you should be eating this and abstaining from that. Paul says, no, no, don't allow anyone to question you regarding your food habits and drink. You just stop there. There are many uh, warnings in Scripture about alcohol. There's no prohibition that says if you drink alcohol, it's an absolute sin. Nowhere found in, in the scripture. But there is warning after warning after warning against strong drink. And we're to take that seriously. And we have all seen people who have ruined their lives because of alcohol or who can't stop. And so if you hear anything from this pulpit today in regard to drinking, it would be a good idea to, to use wisdom and caution when it comes to alcohol. And I have often told our kids, you would do best just to leave the whole thing, the whole mess, completely alone. I don't think you'll ever be sorry for leaving it alone. Verse 16, Therefore, let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink, or with regard to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath, here's the days again. These are a shadow of the things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. So all of these laws, regardless of how you define them, were part of the shadow system that, were, that was pointing to Christ. Now that the church is established, Gentiles are coming in, Gentiles with their practices, and there's concern even in apostolic leadership. What should we still listen to? What of the laws of Moses should we still obey? And 
The apostles are watching the Gentiles come in and there's concern on how they should even treat them. They're, they're worried about the fact that these people seem to be rather common and unclean and different. This is all new to them. If you imagine, they were raised as Jews. And they were Jews and they were uh, raised under this law. Giving all of this up or allowing other people to not come under this law was a, was a huge transformation. It was completely a, a brand new thing. You're raised with something your whole life and then all of a sudden you're telling other people, don't worry about that. Well, that's, that's a huge change. And so they were having trouble with that. And there was one person in particular who was having trouble with this, and his name was the Apostle Peter. And the question was, how should he treat Gentiles? Were Gentiles welcomed into the church? Did they need to come under the law of Moses? If they did, did they need to become clean because they were filthy? So he was concerned about these things, even to the point of being troubled about them. And there's a text in uh, Acts chapter 10, if you flip there, there's a text in Acts chapter 10. He's, he's wrestling with this, and all of a sudden God shows up and gives him instruction regarding this, this matter. Acts chapter 10, Acts chapter 10 verse, verses 9 through 15. It says this, The next day as they were on their journey and approaching the city, Peter went up on the housetop. This is the Apostle Peter. He goes up on the housetop about the sixth hour to pray. And he became hungry and wanted something to eat. Now, he being a Jew would have eaten something that was, that was kosher. But while he was preparing it, so he's preparing this Jewish meal, this acceptable meal, he fell into a trance. So he doesn't fall asleep, but... This is a spirit, Holy Spirit-given trance. He's fully aware of what is going on. And he saw the heavens open and something like a great sheet descending, being let down by its four corners upon the earth. In it were all kinds of animals and reptiles and birds of the air. So these are, these are unclean animals. These were animals that were not clean under the covenant that he was used to. The new covenant had been established, but he's still wrestling with that old covenant. And there came a voice to him saying, Rise, Peter, kill and eat. But Peter said, By no means, Lord, for I have never eaten anything that is common or unclean. See, here it is. He's Jewish, and he has always followed the kosher Laws, and all of a sudden the sheet comes down with all of these unclean animals. And God says, why don't you pick out yourself a pig and kill it and eat it? This is shocking. This is, this is stunning for him. This is something that he is very uncomfortable with. And the voice came to him a second time, verse 15. What God has made clean, do not call common. Peter's wondering, what, is, what does all of this mean? You have these animals that are coming down in this trance-like vision from heaven, and uh, he hears this voice from heaven saying, Rise, kill, and eat. And then through this text, it becomes clear that what God is talking about is the entrance of Gentiles into the church. Unclean, common people. He's saying, Peter, you need to accept people that you're not used to hanging around. 
people that you don't eat like. You need to uh, you need to begin to eat with them. You need to begin to uh, accept them. And furthermore, as the narrative continues, these Gentiles are not going to be put under the Mosaic law. There's never going to come a point where they say, "Listen, you really you really do need to get back under the old law and begin to eat correctly." Let me just say it like this. This is very similar to a, a person who this would be no big deal in, in our church or in our day anymore. But a man walks into a, a fundamentalist church, and not all fundamentalist churches are, are wrong, but let's say that they have a, a rule that says a, a man needs to have his hair cut at a certain length. And you'll, you'll see this in different churches, and of course that's the godly way to do it, is trimmed above the collar and above the ears. I hope you can hear the humor in that. But if a man comes in and he uh, has long hair, it's as if he was accepted for a while. And all of a sudden in the sixth month, somebody kind of comes up next to him and begins to say, you know what, a little uncomfortable talk here. We, um, around here we do things a little bit differently and we notice, and then all of a sudden it gets into this very awkward talk about cutting the man's hair. The question is, is that what is going to go on with the church as Gentiles come in? Maybe no talk at first about the, about the roast that's pork. But maybe in a month two or three or four or five, maybe you have to kind of come up to that person and have a little bit of a talk with them to get them back on the right track. That's the question. God is obliterating that by telling Peter, he's saying, look at all these animals. I want you to, I want you to rise. I want you to kill it. Kill an animal and I want you to eat it. And what he is talking about is the inclusion of the Gentiles, uncommon, unclean, common, unclean people coming into the church. Notice what he says in verse 28. Peter's talking in Acts chapter 10. And he said to them, you yourselves know how unlawful it is for a Jew to associate with, he's saying, according to our laws, I'm not even supposed to be really talking with you guys. I'm not supposed to be your friend. By the way, you remember back in John chapter 4? None of this should have been shocking. Jesus was doing this during his whole ministry. Remember John chapter 4 with the Samaritan woman? I mean, that was, that was shocking that he would sit there at a well and talk to a Samaritan woman. So Peter is Peter's saying something very similar here. He said, I'm not supposed to associate with anyone or visit anyone of another nation. But God has shown me that I should not call. When did God show him this? He showed him that in the trance. That was the meaning of the whole sheet being lowered from heaven. But God has shown me uh, that I should not call any person common or unclean. So now he's beginning to recognize that he should accept the Gentiles. That people who were different than him, people that he often thought of as dirty, were actually welcomed into the church and that God actually showed, as Paul has been saying here, God shows no partiality. And so by the time that we get to our text, Paul is demonstrating here, we've been talking about the fact that he has the same authority, that he's on equal footing with the other apostles. He's going to show us the fact that he is by an instance that has happened after Peter went through this situation in Acts chapter 10. So Peter has already been prepared by the Lord about this whole issue regarding Jews and Gentiles and Gentiles coming into the church. 
And now Paul is going to show the fact that he is an apostle on equal standing, that he has the same authority as apostles such as John, apostles such as James, and in particular he's going to show us here that he has the same apostolic authority as Peter, because in our text he actually confronts him. And he confronts him on his practice. And only another apostle would be able to have this kind of authority. And so Paul is showing us, hey, I've got this kind of authority because Cephas, also Peter, began to get off track. And so there's a, there's a confrontational element to the gospel. When somebody begins to get off track, The most loving thing a person can do is confront them. We, we often don't like to talk about confrontation. We think of confrontation as an unbiblical concept. Of course, we don't want to stand there and argue with somebody in an unhealthy way. But when somebody begins to fall or begins to go in a wayward manner, if they're a true believer... And if another true believer sees that, the best thing to do is not to just avoid it. The best thing is not to just avoid it. The best thing isn't to just sit back and pray about it. Some people say, well, we'll just pray about it. It's good to pray about it. Uh, the best thing isn't to just accept it. Well, maybe we'll just accept it. You know, everybody's a little bit different. Listen, if it's in, uh, if it's in clear contrast, or clear contradiction with the gospel. We're not talking about menial little things that just need to be overlooked. The Bible says that love covers a multitude of sins. And so there are things constantly we just need to be going, oh, that's just so-and-so. We just overlook it. People say that about me, and people say that about you. And so there are just things in life where we just go, you know what? We're just not going to make a big deal about this. It's not worth going to the mat over. And so we see something, but it's not a huge issue, and we just say, you know what? We're not going to gossip about it. We're, we're, we're not going to spread information about these kind of issues, but we're simply, we are truly going to pray about it. And we're going to just let it go, and we're going to trust that the Lord in his time will work this out. But then there are big issues, like clear gospel issues, problems that are against the clear teaching that is given to us by the Lord Jesus Christ and by his apostles. And the best thing and the most loving thing a person can do, listen, if you are truly loved, somebody will come and confront you in your sin. And I believe that there are actually Christians who are longing for that. They're not used to it. And it's, it's interesting, oftentimes when somebody is confronted, the reaction is unbiblical. So an unbiblical reaction would be, you know what, I'm, I'm just going to distance myself from you because I don't like what you said to me. You confronted me about the truth and I don't like it. And that kind of reaction is unbiblical and unloving. But when somebody comes with genuine authority, and I don't mean pompous authority, I mean biblical authority, and they come in a spirit of love, there is nothing more healthy than that. And so what Paul is saying here is he says, I began to see Peter 
he began to uh, get out of step with the gospel. And because of that, instead of just letting it go, I actually had to go and have a confrontation with him. Not only did he have it privately, the scripture tells us here that he had it publicly. You say, well, when do you do private versus public? Private sin, listen, private sin needs to be dealt with privately. That's how it gets dealt with. Private sin gets dealt with privately. So if it's a private sin in somebody's life, it needs to be dealt with in the same manner. If it's a public sin, and uh, it's a sin that is against a group of people, or it's, uh, it's a sin in a corporate setting, you don't deal with that privately. You deal with it publicly. And so when Paul rebukes Peter, he doesn't just pull him aside. He probably did that as well. But the text here says that he actually publicly rebuked him for the fact that he was beginning to go astray. So let's notice our text here. Verse 11, he says this, But when Cephas came to Antioch, so Cephas, Peter, was a, a, a Jerusalem apostle. Primarily his ministry was to the Jews. But he comes up to Antioch, where Christians are first called Christians. It says here, I opposed him to his face because he stood, he stood condemned. So how does, how does Paul handle Peter? He goes directly to the source, and he confronts him, and he confronts him with the truth. We notice what he is confronting about, and uh, we see this uh, condemning conduct here in verse 12. He says this about Peter. He says, for before certain men came from James or Jacob, that is uh, the leader of the church in Jerusalem, there's question of whether these people were directly sent by James, which seems unlikely. It seems that these men just came from the Jerusalem church and perhaps wouldn't have even agreed with the apostle James's teaching. They were aberrant. They were Judaizers. They were against the gospel, but they show up in Antioch. So you have these, these false teachers, these these people are teaching heresy. They show up in Antioch. But before they showed up, Peter's there. And he was eating with the Gentiles. No problem. Remember, he had seen the sheep. God had instructed him about not calling those things that are clean and, uh, and uncommon as common. And so he, he, gets, this, he gets this whole... He gets this whole lesson about Gentiles versus Jews, and now he's beginning to eat with them. In fact, in the Greek here, it means that he continued to eat with them. So he didn't just have one meal, but he was sitting down for meal after meal, and he was like, hey, pass that, uh, pass that pulled pork. That looks really good. Why don't you pass that on down here? And he was filling his plate with that, filling his plate with lobster, and who knows what else they were having, and he was enjoying himself with the Gentiles. He had supposedly learned his lesson. God had said, listen, Peter, you need to be careful here about who you're calling common and unclean. But listen, but when they came, that is this party that came from Jerusalem, he drew back and separated himself, fearing the circumcision party. So all of a sudden this 
this group of people comes, and he begins to say, you know what? Uh, they come and they say, Peter, what are you doing? You need to be keeping kosher. You need to be eating the correct foods. You, you know better than this. Of course, he's under freedom now. But he begins to withdraw back. He begins to say to his Gentile friends, you know what? Never mind, I'm not going to be eating with you anymore. This is a, a, a sad statement about uh, Peter here. I feel like if you had a friend you cared about, but for some reason they kind of embarrassed you. you, you spent a lot of time with that friend, and all of a sudden you hooked up with some other friends at the mall, and you guys are having a great time, and all of a sudden the friend that you care about shows up, and they're walking down the path there in the mall directly towards you, and now you're with your cool friends. And as you're looking at this person that you really love, that you really care about, they're a true friend. Now you have your new friends, and they have pressured you. You still care about that person deeply. But as they're coming towards you and you walk by them, you act like you don't even know them. You know, look at them, and somebody says, don't you, don't you know that person? You say, uh, not, not really. Aren't you good friends with him? Aren't you good friends with her? Oh, no, not, not, not so much. That's exactly what is going on with Peter here. He has gotten some new friends, and all of a sudden the people that he was eating with, he's not paying attention to anymore. In fact, he's withdrawing from them. He's saying, I, I don't even really remember eating with you guys. I'm trying to remember all the things that I told you. He knew the true doctrine. He knew the freedom he was supposed to be under. He embraced that. He loved them. But for some reason, he was pressured to deny them. By the way, does uh, denying people in Peter's life seem familiar? You remember him denying somebody else before? If you go back to John chapter 18, verse 27. John chapter 18, verse 27. John chapter 18, verse 27. The Lord had predicted to Peter, he said, listen, before the cock twice, you're going to deny me three times. Verse 26 says this of John chapter 18, one of the servants of the high priest, a relative of the man whose ear had been cut off, asked him, this is the third time, did I not see you in the garden with him? Peter, don't, don't I remember you there with, with Jesus? Peter again denied it. And at once, the rooster crowed. Peter now is dealing with the same issue. He, he knows better. He's been taught. He knows the gospel. And yet he is allowing this circumcision party, this, this group of people that says you can only eat with Jews, you can only eat certain foods. If you're going to be a, a true Christian, you've got to be circumcised. He's allowing them to influence him. If you're going to be a Christian, once you find out what you believe, stand for it. Stand for it. There are going to be all sorts of people who come, even Christians who come and say, well, maybe you shouldn't really believe that. And maybe you'd even be more popular if you said, you know what? 
I stop believing this about the Bible, maybe more people would accept me or accept us. Maybe if I just, I don't have to change everything. I mean, still, I, still, I still believe the essentials. I believe the fundamentals of the gospel. I still believe these things. But if I just tweak them just a little bit, and maybe all of a sudden I'll become more acceptable. And the Christian has to determine early on, am I going to stand for the things that I'm being taught in the scriptures? Do I believe it or don't I believe it? Am I going to stand when the shifting winds and opinions of others come along, the different interpretations, the wind is blowing all over the place? The question is, does that person stand strong with his or her feet firmly planted in the gospel? That's the question. This isn't just short-term. This isn't just short-term change. This is about standing in the winds of change, even when everything else is not the same anymore. That's the question. But here's Peter. He's going back to his old ways. Going back to his old ways. We won't turn there, but in John chapter 21, Peter has, uh, it's clear the Lord has um, died and been buried and has risen from the dead. Peter knows about all this. The Lord has changed his life forever. But in that in-between time of after the Lord being raised from the dead, Peter's having some questions about his life, and he goes back to his old ways. In fact, in John chapter 21, he says, come on, let's go fishing. You can look it up. He goes back to fishing. The Lord comes to him and says, in essence, what are you doing? What are you doing reverting back from what I called you from? And this is exactly what he's, what he's doing here. Maybe this is something for us here as we begin to think about going back to the old ways. Is this really worth it? Do I really want to continue on in the path that the Lord has called me on? Or do I simply need to go back fishing? That's the question. here. Again, the question is uh, the, the winds of change, the winds of pressure, peer pressure, bad counsel, unbiblical doctrine, all sorts of issues. This is why Jesus said this. He said, the one that endures to the end will be saved. Have you ever endured anything? It's enduring. I endured a roller coaster ride at Kingdom Mound, and it wasn't even that bad. You get on it, and then you hang on for your life through the whole thing. I have a number of roller coaster stories, actually. You gotta hang on as a Christian to what you believe. You gotta watch what other people around you are saying. And if it's unbiblical advice, it needs to be instantly dismissed. Instantly dismissed. Your soul's at stake. 
So Paul, and we do this with, with closing, we're not going to get to this last verse because I, I want to save it for next week. This is, uh, this is an interesting finale here of what Paul does. Verse 13, and the rest of the Jews acted hypocritically. To act hypocritically is to have a mask. You're one thing, but you're acting like another thing. Peter said, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a true Christian, and I, yeah, I believe in the freedom of the Gentiles, and uh, I believe they can eat what they want, and I believe I can associate with them. I, I believe that they're not really common or unclean anymore. But all of a sudden, he gets around them, he gets around this other party of people, doesn't even know them anymore, kind of has instant amnesia, forgets all that he had taught. That's acting hypocritically. And the rest of the Jews acted hypocritically along with him, so that even Barnabas, Poor Barnabas, even Barnabas was led astray by their hypocrisy. Isn't that something? These are, these, are, these are leaders in the church. And this is why, by the way, it says about any, any leader in the church, listen, they're not Christ. This is the, the danger of putting pastors or evangelists on pedestals, celebrity status, that they can't think wrong or they can't fall, or they can't do something wrong. It's crazy. It's crazy. How many celebrity pastors do we need to see come under some kind of scandal before we recognize it's not about them, it's about Christ. It's not about the crowds of people, it's about the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what it's about. Even the most eminent apostles could be led astray, even into hypocrisy, and there was people following them. You know what? I'm not going to eat with the Gentiles anymore. I'm not going to eat with them. I, uh, I'm not going to associate anymore with them. I don't even know them. Who are you? Talk about acting hypocritically. So the, the question is about standing strong, knowing the gospel, and not being moved, not being shaken, not being shaken by emotionalism. Oh, it's all emotional. One, you know, we're praising God. It's wonderful one day, next day, terrible. It's about being instant in season and out of season, being strong. Christians with backbones, Christians with spines that can stand and withstand the test of time. And this is why this stuff matters. Next week, we're going to begin to talk about things that are threatening the gospel today. And we're going to be talking about Paul's uh, final reaction here and why so much was at stake here, because this is a big deal. This is no small matter. Okay, let's pray. Father, we thank you for your power. We thank you for your power. Uh, God, it's easy, God, even within the church, to come under the influence of uh, Terrible, terrible doctrine. Terrible pressure. And Lord, I, I pray that in this church that, that, that we would withstand that, that you would raise up people within the church that know how to withstand the, the, the pressure that comes day in and day out. Not only from without the church, you're talking about here in this text here from within the church. God, I pray that we would be measuring everything, not according to, well, I feel this way, I think this, I think that. I've been, Lord, that we would be getting into, what does your word say? 
What does your word say? What does your word say? Thank you for being with us here today. We can sense your presence here. We ask you, O oh God, that you would speak to our hearts with power, that this text would grip us for the coming weeks and months. And then we would evaluate our own lives in this. Are we part of the party that would give bad counsel, unbiblical advice? Lord, cause us to repent. If we're part of the group that is being pressured and is going along with the crowd, maybe there's a temptation that says, oh, let's throw, throw this away, throw away the things I've been taught. doesn't really matter. It matters. It matters. I pray for those who are sick today, not feeling well. Lord, we think of Pastor Morgantini and his ankle. And we ask, oh God, that you would, you would touch him today, that you would heal him, that you'd give him strength. We love him. We thank you for him. Lord, we think of uh, uh, Mrs. Thompson, Rebecca's mother, who has Lyme's disease. We pray, God, that you would be with her as well, that you would give her strength, that you would give uh, continued uh, um, assistance there, whether it's divine healing, whether it's medication that will help her. But, Lord, we ask you that you would be with her today in a unique way. Thank you for all that you have said today. Lord, we pray that you'd bring us back, those who are traveling again today, bring us back again next Sunday to be ready to hear your word. And I pray, oh God, that we would be changed, that this church would be changed, that we would no longer be children tossed to and fro, but that we would become mature adults in Christ. And only your word can do that. And I pray, Lord, that you would give us the boldness and the authority to address issues that need to be talked about in our culture and in our church and in our families to bring us back to the truth, we pray, the truth of the gospel. And we pray this in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. Would you stand with me as we sing the doxology?